Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. You remain standing for the reading of the Word. Reading out of Genesis chapter 32. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. There he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word, upon our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive, I pray, and to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm a little surprised. You all came back. <laughs> um, we're in a series entitled Origin Story. And today I want to talk to you about birthright and blessing. It, it really is two messages kind of wrapped in for one. Um, there are certain themes that we've said that you'll see in Scripture. Uh, one of those, as we've said, has been the city of man versus really what's called the garden of, of God. Man starts out in the garden is cast out of that, and the first thing he does is try to build a city, uh, Babel, and, and, and so throughout Scripture, cities are not seen as a positive thing for the most part until the end of time when the city of God um, is there, and in the center of that city is a garden again. So you have this contrast between the garden of God, the relationship, the intimacy with God in a very simple setting to the vast intricacies and insulation that we create as human beings and our own things with our cities and stuff and, and putting that around. Another item that we see through Scripture is that the firstborn, though, usually a place uh, that is elevated uh, in humanity, is not always recognized, in fact, often isn't, by God. Uh, there's repeated cases where he takes the secondborn or someone who is the least considered and elevates that. God often saves through the one who has been rejected. Uh, and so those are another theme that we see. When we last talked, we had um, basically uh, uh, Abraham... He gets this blessing from God, and he's supposed to be the one who's supposed to minister and bless all things uh, through his uh, loins and through his offspring and all. At one point in time, he's very advanced in age, and God comes to him and says, you're still going to have this child, and Sarah's going to become pregnant real quick, and Sarah's in the corner of the tent, and she's listening and overhears and laughs inside, and how can I, I'm this old, and God says, you, you laughed. He says, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. 
Um, and because of that, you're going to have a kid, and you're going to call him laughter. So every time you call his name, you're going to remember how you didn't believe in me, okay? And so they have this child named Isaac. And um, at one point in time, Isaac uh, has gotten older, and they don't want him mixing with the locals. And so uh, Abraham sends a servant of his to one of his former relatives to look for a wife for uh, Isaac. And um, the guy has a simple thing he's thinking to know who is God's person for this. And he sets it in his mind. He goes to the well, and um, Rebecca comes to the well, and she offers to draw water for him out of the well. That's an arduous process. You're learning down, pulling it all up. Not only waters him, but waters all of his camels. That's a big task, okay, watering a bunch of thirsty camels. And he says, yep, that's the girl for Isaac. Makes a little bit of a negotiation there, brings her on back. And so Isaac and Rebecca marry. And as the time goes on, um, Rebecca becomes a child, and it's a double blessing. It's actually two children. We find that in Genesis chapter 25. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, with all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which kind of denotes red. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. In other words, Esau comes out as firstborn, but Jacob's had a whole, he's trying to take a free ride, okay, coming on out. Maybe he's trying to yank him back and go first. And so he's given the name Jacob, which has the meaning, several meanings, but one of those is that he takes by the heel, or he cheats, or deceives, or usurps. Great thing to name your kid, Okay. And so you've got Esau, the red guy, and you've got this deceiver, cheater, you know, grab-by-the-heel type person. Now, as things progress, it says that the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Esau, in other words, was this hunter, gather, we go kill, drag home and eat, okay? Um... Jacob was like a reader. He was a little bit more quiet, settling down, and, and not sight the type of person. But here's the real twitch to the whole gig. It's in verse 28. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau. I don't think within this gathering here, that there is such things, such a thing as a fully functional family. I think every family in this room has some degree of dysfunctionality. If you don't have it in the room, you have it by your extended. And every one of you right now thought of somebody. Okay? That's all right. They're thinking of you. <laughs> and there are various things that can pass down through generations even. And they can have a real impact. In this case, Isaac has a favorite, and it's Esau. And Rebecca has a favorite too, it's Jacob. But it's not the same impact in this setting as the father. So he has a favorite in Esau, and that plays out to some tragedy as we go down the line. And here's the thing that's interesting. Jacob later does the same thing in his family. Later on, he has kids. And Joseph the guy who has the many-colored coat, the guy with, you know, the movie, the television show, the songs, okay? He becomes a favorite of Jacob. And when he's taken from him, 
he does it all over again with Benjamin, another one of the kids. This favoritism issue of one kid over another can be really devastating, and if you're not conscious of it, kids can play to that sometimes too. One kid makes a mistake, and the other kid sees he's getting a little bit of press for that, and next thing you know is they start to play up being a righteous good little angel. And I've seen this before, and sometimes they're not that righteous an angel, but the parents don't see it. And the one that's on the outside gets even more on the outside. Sometimes um, us as kids can feel, now I was very blessed by my father, had a great relationship with my father. But I've seen this a thousand times otherwise where, where we can imagine that there's some degree of disfavor for us when it's really not there at all. It's a matter of what's in our own head. But in this case, it was real. It was happening. It was something that belonged to this moment of time. And so this is the dynamic that's playing out. It goes on. Once when Jacob was, cooking, Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom as well. And he becomes the father of the Edomites. Don't need to go there right now. Jacob says this, sell me your birthright now. Now, um, a birthright and a blessing, they're two very different things. A birthright was an honor that was given to the firstborn it was kind of a head of household type thing. Uh, it had a certain status. It had the right to inherit a double portion of the father's estate and almost all the authority as head of the household when the father passed. This was always to the firstborn. A double portion. Everyone else got a portion. He got a double portion. And he would also become the head of the household. A blessing is different. A blessing is something that was given regardless of a birthright. However, a greater blessing was given to the one who had the birthright. And so a greater blessing, and a great thing, we'll talk about this as we go along here a bit, was given to that person. And so Esau, being firstborn, had the birthright. He was going to become the ruler of the clan, and he was going to get a double portion of things. And there was a spiritual connotation, too, that we won't go into right now. And he's hungry, he's starving, he's just come in and he's been working out, he's been chasing down bunny rabbits and hitting them over the head, he's been, you know, whatever, he's been out there killing. And so he's coming in and he's hungry and, and his brother has worked up a stew of some type. And he's like, give me that. It's like, okay, if you sell me your birthright. He sort of said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? A little drama here. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate, drank, and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Lentil stew. I've never had a lentil stew that I know of until a couple of years ago. I happened to find a, a, a can of lentil stew that was on the shelf, and I I brought it back here, and I keep a couple of cans in my office in case I get hung up and don't grab lunch, and so I opened this one day, and and. I don't know if it's just this stew or what, but this stuff is amazing. Okay? I mean, it is so fragrant. And it had these onions and it had these stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Now, granted, I was very hungry. I'm like, I now understand Esau. <laughs> so I keep a couple of cans just in case I need to persuade somebody of something later um, in my office. No, I mean, it's, it's good stuff, okay? And the reality is whenever you're starving, anything's going to taste good, especially if it's well-prepared. And so what happens here is that that Esau literally sells out his birthright. His hunger overcame his thinking. 
And right now, this portion alone is what a lot of messages will be focused on and would dwell on and would unpack even more. And and I'm just going to do a little bit of a drive-by with you on this, but it's really an important drive-by. Because the reality is that our hunger, things that we want, things that we have a, a, a lust for, can satisfy in the short term but dismantle something for long term. Sometimes our hunger, what we want, leads to a dumb, lasting, horrifically impacting decision. Lusting for a person, for power, for money, for prestige. And so we hurt people, we destroy things for it. And in the end, we lose so much more than we ever thought we would lose. In this case, he lost something of a spiritual nature as well as financial and otherwise for what another translation says, a a mess of pottage, for a stew. Be careful and cautious with your hungers. Be careful of satiating those for short-term gain with an incredible long-term loss or spiritual endpoint. In this case, Esau really doesn't pay too much attention to the whole thing. He just sells it off without even thinking. Mark Cuban, he owner of the uh, NBA's uh, Dallas Mavericks, a couple of years back, he actually made a deal. He offered to the Chicago radio sports talk host, David Kaplan, the sports host, he, he offered him 50000 to change his name to Dallas Maverick. Fifty grand if you change it. He wouldn't do it. He declines. Cuban goes ahead and he ups the offer. He says, I'm going to pay you, Kaplan. I'm going to pay you, Mr. Kaplan, $100,000, and I'll donate $100,000 to your favorite charity if you just take the name Dallas Maverick for one year, which means every time he'd do a sports game, well, now it's Dallas Maverick with the news, you know? That type of thing. He'd get all sorts of press over it, and, and it was a shtick, but $200,000, $100,000 for a charity just for one year? After some soul-searching and being bombarded by emails from various fans who was encouraging him to take hold of this, Kaplan turned it down. Kaplan explained this, quote, I'd be saying I'd do anything for money, and that bothers me. My name is my birthright. I'd like to preserve my integrity and credibility. He turned down $200,000 because he would not sell out his birthright. He realized there was an issue of integrity involved and other issues that were in play and he wasn't going to let that happen. Well, the story doesn't end there. See, at one point in time, um, Isaac's getting old and near death and he's realizing he needs to kind of pass on the family issue. He needs to uh, um, put a blessing, the blessing that he would give upon the eldest. Now, Esau had had sold off his birthright, whether he thought he, his brother would actually follow through or not, no one knew. The blessing was something different, and, and it was a powerful issue, spiritually and politically. So he tells Esau, he says, why don't you go out and hunt something up for me? Bring it back, cook it the way you know I like it. Let's have a last meal together, my favorite son, and you and me, and then I will bless you. Well, Rebecca is nearby, and she's listening, and she didn't have to make a big effort because they were tents, thin walls, like, okay, you know? So she goes, while Esau's out running around, she goes to Jacob, says, listen, my son, um, this is what's taking place, and I got a thought for you. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. I want you to go out and find two goats, kill them, and I'm going to prepare them the way that your father likes. 
Now, my first thought is, this old man needs two full goats to get a meal down? I don't know. Heavy eater. So she does this, and, and, and Jacob kind of pushes back. He says, wait a minute, he's going to know it's not me, though. I mean, I'm smooth skin, and, and Jacob, he's, I mean, I'm, I, I, swell, I smell sweet. <laughs> and, and Jacob, I mean, uh, Esau, rather, he, he stinks. So how are we going to, he says, don't worry, bring me the skins of the, of the goats. We're going to put those on your arms, so you're going to feel hairy, and you're going to smell, and we're going to put it on the nape of your neck where he's going to touch you there, and, and that's how it's going to be. And so he says, okay. So he goes into his father, and his father's sitting there, and he has, he's, he's gone pretty blind at this point in time. And Jacob brings in the, uh, the food. He smells the food. Is that you, Esau? Yes, it is me, father. Okay, my eyes are gone, but my hearing, that sure sounds like Jacob. A crazy question to ask. Are you sure that you are Esau? Yes, I am sure that I am Esau, father. Well, come over here, son. He grabs his arms. Over here. Yeah, feels like Esau. Come close, let me give you a kiss on the cheek. Yeah, Harry there. Oh my gosh, yes, he smells like Esau. Must be Esau, must just be my ears. So he eats the meal, and he has him kneel down, he puts his hands, and he gives him the blessing. Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Genesis 27, and said, see the smell of my son. It says, the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed and he says, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Nations bow to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Think for a moment. This was a son who had never really had his father's favor. What it meant for him in that moment of time, stolen as it was, Hear his father bless him. But it was a theft all the same. A little bit of time goes by after he's left, and Esau comes in from the field. Hey, Dad, I got the meat and everything. He says, and Isaac's like, uh, weren't you just here? No. And then they quickly realize what's taking place. And he says, your brother has taken your blessing. And Esau's broken. He's weeping. He's lost his birthright. Now he's lost his blessing to his younger brother. And, and, and he says, is there anything you can do? And he's like, I, you know, the first blessing is particular. I can give you another blessing. And he does. But it's not the blessing that was supposed to have been his. Well, you know how siblings are, you know. I mean, um, Esau, having lost his birthright, his blessing, immediately said, okay, Sarah, Sarah, we're brothers, it's no big deal, you know, we're all good. Life is happy, right? Any of you have siblings? <laughs> what he says instead is, I'm going to kill my brother. How many times have you heard that one? I'm going to kill him. But he means it. Rebecca hears that too, and so she comes with an idea to get Jacob out of the way. Uh, we're going to send him away to get married to some of our family ways away, and so he has a reason to leave, but he's basically in exile, and so he leaves home. As he leaves home, he goes and eventually finds uh, um, uh, some other extended relatives, and um, this woman, Rachel, comes down the line, and, and it's interesting what plays out because um, she comes along with sheep, and he waters her sheep. He's his mother's son. Rebecca had done that. She, he does this for her. We'll save this for another time. But he, he, he ends up 
getting married. He ends up encountering in this um, the, the father of these girls, whose name is Laban. And Laban is as bad of a, of a, of a liar and, and a con man as Jacob. Only he's had 25 more years of experience. And so he rips Laban, or he rips Jacob off. I mean, he completely dominates him for like 14 plus years and rips him off in the process and deceives him. So the deceiver is now deceived. Um, but he ends up with wives, he ends up with children, he ends up multiplying, he ends up quite wealthy. And at some point in time, he realizes he's worn out his welcome here, and so he needs to leave, and the only place he can go is he wants to return home. Now, I forgot one other thing here. As he's left home, the first night out, he's sleeping, and suddenly God comes to him in a dream, and there's like angels going up and down a staircase, sometimes referred to as Jacob's ladder. And he sees heaven open up and God talks to him in the same way he does to Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to mark you in a certain way if you'll follow me. And so he makes a decision there to follow God. His behavior still doesn't reflect it, but he makes that decision. Goes on to Laban, gets the kids, gets the money, gets all the other things, the crowds of, of things. But he's going to go home now. And here's where it starts to get really interesting then. Because now he's going to return home. But the person he's returning home to, Isaac having passed on, is going to be Esau. And Esau and him have, to say the least, some um, unfinished business, shall we say. So as he's going along here, he's getting more and more scared as the time goes past. As he gets closer and closer, he's getting downright terrified. How is he going to handle his brother? How is he going to deal with him? So he devises a a plan that's multi-level. The closer he gets, he sends ahead a, a flock of, of animals as a gift to his brother along with one of his servants. And so they, they go ahead and they meet Esau and they give him this gift. It's from your brother. And um, then the servant comes back and reports to Jacob, who's anxious, how do you receive it all? He took it all, right? But, but the thing you want to know is this. He's got 400 armed men with him. He's got a small army. Yes, he's coming to meet you. He's coming to meet you with a small army. The implication is this is not going to end well. Jacob goes ahead and he sends another flock and another group of people to him and says, this is another gift for him. He does this several times, and so he keeps on sending these gifts of of, of sheep and flocks and everything to him. After the last one has gone out, he now has to face him the next day. And he's terrified. He prays to God for help. He separates from the rest of the crowd and takes his wife and a couple of kids aside, and then at one point in time he separates from them. It's at this point that we find the passage that we began with. And Jacob was left alone, terrified, in the dark. Gonna be my brother tomorrow. What's gonna happen here? Next thing you know, suddenly there's this man, he's wrestling. What are you, who are you, get off me. And they're wrestling. The guy's not punching him out. He's not trying to, 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 like, to, to harm him. He's just wrestling you know, with him. So he responds back. And he's wrestling back. And they're wrestling in the dark, back and forth. And, and this is going on like all night long, wrestling back and forth until the breaking of the day, the scripture says in verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched Jacob's hip soccer. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So he's wrestling all day and all night, or rather all night long, and then suddenly it's popped out. So now he's just, he's, he's just pretty much kind of broken at that point in time. And this man says, let me go for the day is broken. But by this time, Jacob's wised up. And he's aware this is not just a man. Scriptures otherwise reference him as the angel of the Lord. 
as what appears to be a pre-incarnate time before Bethlehem representation of Jesus Christ. That God is wrestling with him actually and that he's wrestling with God in this darkness. And he's, he's held on. He's fought as best as he could. And, and you have to realize since it was God, the fight could have ended at any moment. There's something else that's going on here. And so as they wrestle on through the time, and then finally his hip sides, and now he's crippled out, and you get the impression he's just holding on, barely. In fact, in Hosea chapter 12, Hosea speaks about this, and he talks about Judah and Jacob and about the brother and the heel and the manhood he strove with God. And in verse 4, it says, He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He didn't prevail by beating God. Nobody does that. He prevailed by staying in the fight. He prevailed by persisting. He prevailed by keeping a hold of the moment. So in this place of intense trial, in this place of intense pleading, because he's weeping, Hosea says, that he's weeping with God. And what is he weeping for? What is he asking? He says, would you bless me? Would you bless me? The blessing that's referred to here is not like, oh, God bless you, or like down south, bless your heart, <laughs> which is really like telling you to go to whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, no, this, this has meaning. When Adam and Eve are in the garden with God, he blesses them. The term means deep fulfillment. So in the garden, God blesses them. In the garden, originally, man had relationship with God, and we were deeply fulfilled. And blessings removed at sin. Next thing he knows, we're building Babel and towns and cities and, and trying to cover up our sins and trying to do all these other things and we become distant from God. We named ourselves. At Babel, we only make a name for ourselves and we get caught up with our work and our family and our money and our careers and our cities and, and we get lost trying to bless ourselves. I'm going to bless myself with a new car. I'm going to bless myself with some new clothes. I'm, I'm going to bless myself with a new relationship or a new job. I just got promoted. I'm going to, I got these blessings. I'm going to bless myself. But there's an emptiness inside there because the blessing for, that we long for, even as Jacob did, he wanted so desperately just to hear his father bless him. And then he hears it, but it's at an act of deception. And he had to know that it meant nothing. He deceives, he cheats, he steals all the way down the line. Now he's finally facing his mortality with his brother and he's encountering God and he realizes in the midst of this wrestling that it's God, but he won't let him go. And so in this place of trial, in this place of intense pleading, in this place where he's seeing the face of God, in this place of very conscious weakness, he won't let go. He says, I won't release you unless you bless me. He finally understands that we can't bless ourselves, that that's not the way to find deep fulfillment. He finally comes to understand that the only way he will ever have deep fulfillment is in the face of God himself. I'm not let you go unless you bless me. Genesis 32. God said to him, and this was a hard blow, what is your name? God knew what his name was. So we knew Moses, what's in your hand? You know? We're in the Garden of Eden. Where are you? He knew. He knows. <laughs> no, it's not like, oh God, if you don't know, let me tell you. He knew. Why is he asking, of all the times now, whenever he, bless me, tell me your name. What's your identity? Deceiver. 
liar, usurper. And what does he say? Jacob, liar, deceiver, usurper. That's my identity. That's who I am. And then one of the most beautiful passages of scriptures and also a pattern in scripture, we see a theme of God changing people's names when he does something dramatic. He says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. I'm giving you a new identity, Jacob. No longer you super, no longer deceiver. All that family past, all that issue of seeking your father's blessing, never receiving it. Yes, I'm going to bless you, but the first thing before that, I'm giving you a new name. And in your Bible, a lot of times, a cliff note or a little note on that is going to say, and, and in the context, it's appropriate, that he strives with God so that Israel means one who strives with God. But that's not the Hebrew terminology there. The actual terminology that's being used there has several meanings, and one of them can mean that. But it, it actually has more of a meaning of like this, that God strives. It, it has a depth of meaning that that Jacob has become a receptacle in which God can be received and retained, that God strives. In other words, all this time, Jacob, you've been striving to take all this junk in and fill this hole in your heart with the blessing, do all these different things, and, and, and all that has no meaning at all. What you don't get is that I have been striving to find you all this time, Jacob. In the church, it's become popular to talk about seekers, people who are seeking God and, and, and how we need to meet those, those people where they're at, and that's all good and fine. But what we forget is in the scripture that the one who seeks is God. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That was Jesus' message and purpose. Yes, we strive with God, but we can never win with that. It's only when we surrender and let go of that whole thing, broken, weeping, holding on to whatever portion we can hold on, and in that moment of weakness and brokenness, then we surrender completely that God says, okay, who are you? This is who I am, God. No longer. I'm going to give you a different name and a different identity. You're going to have a different identity. You will now have a different identity. Now it's going to take some time and Jacob still does a lot of stupid junk because why? He is a human being. But his life changes dramatically from this point on and something heals in his heart as he receives this blessing from God and he finally finds his deep fulfillment with all the games and manipulations aside, all the other things away, that he finally finds his deep fulfillment in the face of God. He asks God's name. God says, that's none of your business right now. Save that for Moses. (laughs) And then he says, and there he blessed him. And decades of hurt and emptiness, insecurities, all in that moment of time as God, his heavenly father, without any deception, without any tricks, blesses him in deep fulfillment. So he calls the place, and I saying, I've seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. And then this, as the sun rose upon him, he passes this place and then limping because of his hip. So now the day's broken and now he's gonna go and he's gonna find his brother and he's going there limping. And he limps for the rest of his life. When you strive with God, you get marked. You don't forget it easily at all. So this is his marking. Now it doesn't finish there. It finishes actually with this last passage I want to share with you real quickly to give you the full flushing out of this. Genesis 33, 8 and 11, he encounters Esau. 
And as he comes towards Esau, this, this arrogant manipulator, liar, deceiver, bows seven times to his brother as he comes. He sent flocks ahead. He comes down and bows seven times. Is he going to end up getting his head chopped off? Is he going to end up being attacked? Is he going to end up... It says here, Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? What's up, man? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. There's been a reconciling going on. Something's changed in Esau's heart. Then this, no, please, said Jacob, if I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like, it's like seeing the face of God. But that's not the best part. This next line. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. Please accept the present. The language there of present means blessing. In other words, I'm returning your blessing, brother. I can't give you the real one. I squandered all that. But I'm trying in here. I want to return what I stole from you. He's returning the blessing. I found the blessing I've always needed. I found the fulfillment I've always needed in the face of God. I return to you what I've stolen. For God has been gracious to me. He links it right to that. And then this, I have all I need. This is the expression of the believer in Jesus Christ. We don't receive God's grace because of all the greatness that we have done or deserve or anything else. We get it when we admit who we are. Even as Jacob did when God said, what is your name? We get it when we accept that and when we're humbled and in that place of brokenness and when we lay those things down, it's at that time and at that place that then we receive the blessing of God and when we have the blessing of God, there's a deep fulfillment that no career, no relationship, no amount of money, no amount of prestige or power or anything can ever fulfill when we have the blessing of God is the deepest fulfillment. All of our own attempts to create our own blessing fall aside. And we finally sit here and say, God's been gracious to me. And we can finally say, and regardless of our circumstance, as the apostle said, with much or with less, I am content. Because we can say, I have all I need. I want you to take a moment. If there's any holes that are in your life from your family past, any issues of birthright that have challenged and, and damaged you, that this morning you would hear your father's voice give you blessing as you lay those things down. If there's an, an area of emptiness that you've had, that in this moment of, of receiving communion, that you also would receive from your Father's hand a blessing. And that you let this, this moment of quietness, this moment of stillness, this moment of, of coming before God and looking into His face, establish a deep peace within you this morning. After Jacob's experience, there were still mistakes he made. But his life moved on a very different trajectory after that. And his relationship with God was such that for all time, it's been recorded and spoken of. The God that we worship and follow is not some nebulous God or some great spirit or, or some pantheistic view, but that what we worship and who we worship is the God of Abraham of Isaac and of a messed up kid named Jacob. 
We worship a God who interacts with his creation and does not stand aloof. And he knows who you are and where you are this morning. And in this moment of reflection and time, I encourage you, come before him. Lay whatever hurt, lay whatever hole you have in your heart, lay it at his feet. Whatever family dysfunctionality, submit it to him. Whatever addictions and hunger have have chased you around the planet and caused you to make decisions that have lasting, eternal impact, but your hunger has driven you to it, God can restore even those if you come to him and lay it at the foot of his cross. Acknowledge your identity and accept a new one in Christ Jesus. So Father, we come this morning as your children. And Lord, some of us have wrestled long with you. We have fought against you for years and only now realize that we'll never be fulfilled until we we lay hold of you. And so this morning, I pray that these individuals, Lord, that are gathered here would know that you are the God that strives for them. You are the God who has sought them. And that this morning, in this time and place, they would surrender to you. That they lay hold of you and say, I will not release until I have a blessing. Father, extend that to your children, I pray this morning, even as you did to Jacob in his circumstance as we gather. In your name, Lord, we pray.